the sound man played God Bless America as I walked out. <laughs> and this already rabid, anti-American audience lost their shit. Before I even got to the microphone, they're yelling, fuck you, go back to America. Fuck you, go back to America. And I tried to start, and I couldn't get started. And uh, I actually had this very serene moment. I sat down Indian style on the stage, and I lit a cigarette, and I just took in this panoramic view. For years after that, I would wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweats, um, thinking I was still on stage there. Hot breath. Hey, it's you. Welcome back to the Hot breath You know what time it is. Hot breath. (sighs) It is I, Joel Byers, and we have a guaranteed knock-em-out winner today with a comedy legend. We met up at the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival and got to do a little interview the next week while he was down here in Atlanta at the Punchline. Could not be more honored for him sharing his very valuable time with us. And I couldn't be honored even more for you sharing your valuable time with me. So thank you so much for tuning in to Hot Breath. And why not use your time wisely and leave an iTunes review as well, ladies and gentlemen. That is really how we start to stand out in this muddled, muddy podcast universe. We are up to a 100 and 11 reviews now. Thank you so much. We've been getting at least one a week for the past few weeks, so thank you so much for your support on that. And I must go ahead and shout out this week's review. Yes, we had a call to action last week, and it was fulfilled by the one that goes by Road Comic, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, he gave us five stars and said, Joel is evolving into a gifted interviewer. The episode with Josh Harris shows the potential of a podcast to be more than just a conversation. Keep it up, Joel. And he signed his name Rick R. So thank you, Rick R. If that's the Rick R I'm thinking of, I think that is the host of the one and only School of Laughs podcast. If you like comedy, which you clearly do because you're listening to Hot Breath, definitely give School of Laughs a listen. He's based out of Nashville, but this guy's a touring headliner with so much information really based on experience, and he interviews a lot of experts. He just had a great series with a social media expert that I guarantee will leave you with a new perspective on social media and how it can empower your career. So that being said, thank you, Rick R., for the iTunes review. And if you would like to continue to empower your comedy, I would recommend a new online comedy festival coming to Atlanta called Comedy Binge. It's taking place at Relapse Theater here in downtown Atlanta, It's the world's first online comedy festival. It's going to be headlined by Rob Hayes. The whole point of this festival is for you to get direct contact with industry, bookers, other festivals. People are going to be tuning into this. It takes place in Atlanta, but it's going to be broadcast all over the world. And if you go to comedybinge.co, use promo code HOTBREATH, you get five bucks off. So why not do that? Registration ends August 31st. That's almost here, ladies and gentlemen. And the actual festival will be October 29th. So again, comedybench.co, use promo code HOTBREATH, get five bucks off. So that's your stage. If you're looking to up your brand, I would recommend Comedy Artwork. This guy just did a, what would you call it, portrait illustration of me that's been getting just incredible feedback on social media. 
And if you go to comedyartwork.com, you can see all the work he's done with places like Funny or Die. I mean, he's worked with Brian Posehn. He's worked with Big J Okerson. I mean, just just go to his website, comedyartwork.com. He's worked with all them greats, including Joel Byers. And if you want to just see, you know, images besides just more information about him, go to his social media, incredible, at Comedy Artwork. Comedyartwork.com or at Comedy Artwork on social media. The work speaks for itself. Just go there and then reach out and ask him how he can really take your brand to the digital age. Okay, so that's your brand. Now you want to up your skill? Howwirecomedy.com. That's where I teach my stand-up class, which just sold out this round. But we also teach sketch and improv there. So go to highwirecomedy.com, get more info on all that. We're about to move a new, to a new comedy complex that's like 7,000 square feet. It's going to be incredible. It's going to have its own theater, a bunch of different classrooms and writing rooms. Highwire Comedy is a force to be reckoned with in Atlanta comedy. So go to highwirecomedy.com, get more info on how you can join up. And if you'd like to more info on me, maybe joelbyerscomedy.com, where you can get more info about my class or my schedule about shows I do, like every Wednesday I host the Cater's longest-running comedy show at Java Monkey Coffee and Wine Bar. Starts at 8.30. It's a free show. Come out and see why it's the Cater's longest-running comedy show. joelbyerscomedy.com, at joelbyerscomedy on social media, you know, at Hot Breath Pod on social media, you're not here to learn about all that, though. But I should say, I pretty much just told you about a festival you can do to take up your comedy career. Told you about a illustrator who can take up your branding. Told you about a training facility who can take up your branding as well. As well as just training in general. Comedy, regardless of what it is, all informs each other, regardless of what the medium is. And now really quick, let me tell you, if you're wanting headshots or video or anything like that, Bernard Henry Manning is the guy you want to contact. He just moved to Atlanta from the Chicago comedy scene where he was a photographer. Now he's just down here, maybe a month in at most. And he did some headshots for me that completely blew me away, and I just want to shout him out. He's on Facebook, Bernard Henry Manning. If you go to my website, you can see his work. It's on my media page. It's on my home page. He is... He really created the brand of Joel Byers. He really helped bring that to life. So Bernard Henry Manning, thank you. And thank you, listeners. Sorry for the diatribe, but I know you guys are comedy fans. A lot of you are actual comedy performers. And I just like to provide tools to help you kind of empower your own brand. So that's why I'm only working with these people because I believe in them and I believe it's something you can benefit from. I'm not like, oh, I got a sponsor that is a mattress that shows up in the mail. Cool. No, these are actual services that you can benefit from, and they're not only, I mean, affordable, but they're incredible quality. So thank you so much for tuning into this intro. I know a lot of people like to skip it, but I wouldn't put any info in the intro that I don't think you could benefit from. So that being said, we will now get to the interview with the one and only Tom Rhodes, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I saw this guy a couple years ago at the Atlanta Punchline. He completely blew my mind, and he's been one of my favorite comics since. We crossed paths up in Montreal a little while ago, and he's like, hey, I'm going to be down in Atlanta next weekend. Boom, we knocked out the podcast in the Atlanta Punchline green room. 
I learned so much. This guy is a 30-year comedy veteran who has been traveling the world his entire career, had multiple TV shows and still working and still just a wealth of knowledge and inspiration. And that's why I wanted to have him on here. I thought he would really be a great addition to the hot brethren. So he was. He did not disappoint. And I will not disappoint. And I will bid you adieu. And now to the moment of truth. The reason you're all here, ladies and gentlemen, all there is left to do is inhale a hot breath with Tom Rhodes. This is going to be good. It's going to be great. In a green room, hearing all the... All the noises. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we're hot. Let's hop in. We are hot. Because I know you're on, on a- Hot Breath Podcast. Yeah, that's it. And you are, sir? Can you say your full name? My name is Tom Rhodes. I'm a Capricorn, and my favorite color is blue. Tom Rhodes, thank you for being on Hot Breath, sir. Hey, brother. Yeah, man, it was really nice to meet you in Montreal. Yeah, that was great. Last week. And, yeah. um, you know, Atlanta's, like, uh, always been a home to me. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're out here at the uh, the new punchline. What is your, your take on the new punchline? Um, it's probably <laughs> one of the first times I've, uh, I don't remember ever playing in a diner before. Okay. And, yeah. um, it's uh, good to know that there's hot pastrami on hand. <laughs> But you, uh, your relationship with Punchline goes way back, right? I started playing at the uh, Punchline uh, when I was 19 years old. Wow. I started being a comedian when I was 17 in Orlando, and I started out on the Southern Circuits, and I played in every town that ends in Ville or Borough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Comedy Zones out of Charlotte during the comedy boom had uh, clubs in every holiday and lounge in the Southern United States mm-hmm. and uh, I'll never forget coming to the punchline and doing my first open mic night and then I got in as an MC and it was the first like quality A room wow. that I had ever gotten into Wow, it was like the best club in the south uh-huh. and so it really felt like a real badge of honor to play at the punchline so I, I MC'd at the punchline for years and I was never in any hurry to move up probably like mm-hmm. five years and then they moved me up to feature act and then I thought I was thrilled to be the feature act. Yeah. And then the punchline was, uh, they, I think they headlined me before anybody else did, before I had any television credits. And so you, they've always had a lot of faith in me and um, always loved them like family. Did you ever get another vibe for the Atlanta comedy scene overall, or was it just punchline you performed? Uh, the punchline yeah. uh, was always my place. And mm-hmm. um, in the comedy boom in the late 80s, early 90s, I know there was a an improv and a bunch of other clubs tried to move in. And then um, I, you know, stuck with the punchline. Well, you had, I'm glad your first success was here at the punchline headlining at 19, which starting at 17. So did you even have headliner material? No, no, no I didn't know. I, I started, I got in with the punchline at okay. 19 and I emceed okay. for like five years. Okay. You didn't headline. No, I didn't front. start headlining until my late twenties. Okay. I got a little ahead of myself. Though. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I got a little yeah. ahead of myself. Um, <laughs> but you know, in Orlando, when I started out, there wasn't really a good club. A good club came years later, but, um, the Atlanta Punchline was like kind of my home club, mm-hmm. and 
Um, I'm from Orlando. I mean, it, some people say it's not the South, but, um, you know, I, I've always felt that like Atlanta and the punchline was uh, was like my home club. I guess I got a little ahead of myself because you did have early success in your career. I mean, we mentioned meeting in Montreal, which is a big jumping off point for a lot of comedians. And you specifically, you go to Montreal and then you leave there with an NBC sitcom pretty much. It was 1995. Yeah, I was the bell of the ball in Montreal. So uh, I got a, a back then they would cut big checks to the comedians. Mm. And um, I think NBC gave me like $75,000 to um, <laughs> develop my own sitcom. And we did the pilot and uh, everybody loved the pilot. And then uh, I got the green light and the show was called Mr. Rhodes. It ran mm -hmm. from 96 to 97. And how do you deal with this? Because this is something I'm just now starting to try to process. And like you put your heart into something and it doesn't quite pan out like you would like how do you how do well, you that's life young man i don't know if you've ever been in love before i have been in love before <laughs> yes well, what is your how did you deal with like rejection because this isn't something like before the nbc thing you people may not know you had comedy central's first development deal yeah i was like the face of comedy central yeah. um for a few years when they first came on the air so then you go from that to like you jump to NBC, which was kind of like that was the place to be. And then it just you're like, here I go. Here's my show. And then it just falls apart. Like, how do you deal with that kind of criticism? Maybe, you know, uh, I've spent a lot of years analyzing it like the Zabruder film from every angle to see why it didn't work out and how mm. things could have been different. But my wife adamantly um, will smack the shit out of me if she ever hears me say anything negative about it anymore because <laughs> I had my own television show for one year on NBC and it had my name on it. So, um, you know, I, I, I played a school teacher. Uh, my original show I wanted to make, I wanted to be a public defender lawyer, the voice of the voiceless. And mm -hmm. um, somebody said uh, they had a Lawyer show fail, can you make Tom a teacher? And then we went with that idea. In retrospect, I should have stuck with my guns and uh, until they made the uh, public defender show. Did you just get around the, the shiny NBC and were like, well, they must know best? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I grew up with NBC. And for me, NBC represented American comedy. You know, uh, mm -hmm. Johnny Carson was like a family member and uh, loved Johnny Carson. And then David Letterman was on. After him for years, Saturday Night Live, The Cosby Show, Cheers, uh, like all these great comedy shows uh, that I loved and grew up with. So, um, so yeah, I, I I was proud to be there, and I, you know, whatever they thought is what I thought I should do. So, just for comedians listening, as soon as that fails, do they just like? kick you out you're in LA so do you just get kicked out you have to go back to Orlando well you know what they kept saying when I they wanted me to be the teacher they kept saying uh, he, you're a fish out of water you're a fish out of water okay and my advice to young comedians is fish out of water die <laughs> a fish needs water so um, yeah man uh, all of show business went ice cold on me when the show got canceled mm. um, people stopped taking my calls and uh, my agency dropped me. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty hard. So um, I moved back to New York City to uh, focus on stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And um, I had lived in New York City when I was 20 years old like a dog, and I was broke. And I always swore if I ever had any money, I would live there in style. So 
Uh, I moved back to New York City and I got a rock star apartment in the Wall Street area and I was pretty hell bent. And I was, uh, I was doing sets every night, but I was also partying really hard. And then I, I, I also looked at my money as my NBC artist grant. Okay. And I started taking trips to London, systematic uh, trips over. I made like three or four trips to London and I got in with London, started playing there. And then that led to gigs all over Europe. And I fell in love with a Dutch girl and I ended up moving to Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And the story I always tell people is I was partying so hard when I lived in New York City, I actually moved to Amsterdam to bring it down a notch. <laughs> well, let's Which is actually true. Let's bring it down a notch a little bit. We're starting to get to your success internationally. But okay. you you kind of glanced over going to New York first, and you're like, and then I live like a dog. But now I'm international headliner. But what do you mean by live like a dog? Are you in the streets? Like, uh, no, what I'm, happened I'm, there? I, um, I moved to New York when I was 20 years old, and I wasn't ready as a comedian yet. And I could only afford to live in Washington Heights. And... Um, 1989, as crack was coming to the neighborhood, mm. there'd be gunshots in the neighborhood. <laughs> Cambrini Avenue, where I lived, there'd be um, burned out smoldering cars in the morning. Car thieves would bring cars up there, and then they'd like set them on fire and leave them. Um, yeah, man, it was really lonely, um, uh, difficult year for me. What was and like? I, a I was always like. And New York is the worst place in the world if you're broke. Oh man! So yeah. I always swore if I had any money. You know, I should have been smarter with that that money. I mean, it was good that I made trips to London and I got in with the international circuits. But mm -hmm. um, in, in retrospect, maybe I should have bought some property. <laughs> but you promised yourself once you had money, you would move back to New York and live like a rock star. And you succeeded. My whole life, everything I've wanted, everything is all about comedy. Everything, okay. you know, every trip I've ever taken, every drug I've ever done, everything. I always just wanted to somehow uh, yield good stories and good jokes. What was another promise you made that you actually brought to reality? Uh, filming specials. Mm -hmm. uh, that was, you know, my and comedy records. I've made three so far. Um, and hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have my fourth one out. Because I grew up with comedy albums. Mm -hmm. My dad loved stand-up comedy. Richard Pryor was his favorite. So um, that, uh, Traveling the World, is another... Um, special and um, you know, and then also not getting married until I found the right person. That was another one. Mm -hmm. So I've had a few promises I've kept. <laughs> and one of the great things about you, you said going to Amsterdam is that you end up getting a late night talk show and you don't even speak the language. Yeah. How, how does, how does that even happen? I am a charming <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, uh, the girl that I moved to Amsterdam for, we were together for two years, and then she broke up with me. And I was just about to move back to the United States when these people from this Dutch television network saw me playing at Tumler, this comedy club in Amsterdam, and they were looking for an American to host a late-night talk show. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I got the job. And it was great. The, it was the, the, a big element of the show was... I was a foreigner experiencing Dutch culture. Okay. So like every episode, I would make a five-minute film where I would experience something of Dutch culture, like spending a day with a Dutch farmer. Mm -hmm. I went to the prime minister debates with a press pass, interviewed the biggest political leaders in the country. Wow. Everything about Dutch culture was explained to me. You know, the drugs, the prostitution, um, their progressive laws, and, um, you know, their political system, The just you know, um, their culture, basically. So again, fish out of water. 
that <laughs> was a fish out of water uh, experience that I enjoyed. <laughs> and uh, travel is certainly a theme that um, certainly your whole career has been on this. Well, to be travel. a comedian, you got to cover the ground. You know, I mean, um, I knew show business wasn't in Florida, and I needed to to break out. You know, One, and you know, from the south, and I started working my way up to New York City, and then. Once I played the Eastern Seaboard and got in with Chicago and the Midwest, then I started taking trips out to San Francisco and I got in out there. And then that's where I got really good as a comedian. You call it the Jerusalem of stand-up comedy? The Jerusalem of comedy, San Francisco, <laughs> because um, Mark Twain uh, gave lectures there and they were always funny. And I think he was the first stand-up comedian. What was the scene like out there? Were there other like... Brilliant comedians. Yeah. Um, uh, when I was in San Francisco, the scene was Mark Marin, Margaret Cho, Greg Proops, Patton Oswalt, mm. um, you know, Blaine Kapach, just so many brilliant, brilliant comedians. Yeah, because I, I stumbled upon a, a picture of you in like a hotel room with like Doug, Doug Stanhope and like Mitch Hedberg, and you guys are just like naked in this hotel room. Yeah, that was at like. the Chicago Comedy Festival. That was like. Um, 97 98 oh, okay mm -hmm. <laughs> what was the what's the reasoning for that why were you guys naked in a well room? that was an interesting story we went back to uh my hotel room you know stanhope and hedberg um were like you know my best friends that's awesome and uh you know we partied really heavily mm -hmm. together and so we were you know been out drinking all night and having fun and um doing whatever extracurricular activities and <laughs> There was uh, a female comedian that was with us. She's in the picture, Lisa Sand Stanfield or something like that. She kept her clothes on. And then there was another girl that was um, kind of invited herself uh, to come over with us. She was like a, a waitress or something. Uh, and she went into the bathroom and Doug Stanhope said to us, he goes, hey, man, let's let's all be naked when she comes out of the bathroom and just act like nothing happened. So she comes in, we all jump, ripped off our clothes and we're just sitting there. And, uh, it's, it's a funny picture. Hedberg's like on the phone yeah. and, uh, and, and you know, it was funny for two seconds and, um, you know, the, I handed the girl my camera and she took a photo. I, I have to ask, I mean, Mitch Hedberg, just one of the, yeah, I mean, I'm sure people have asked you this before, but like, was his stage persona like, w is that him or is this, is he like more no, low when key? When I first met Hedberg, he didn't have that. He kind of talked like a Minnesota guy. He's okay. from Minnesota. He started doing stand up in Florida. And, um, you know, I had really long hair and I've always been like a uh, Southern black preacher and I like to uh, elongate my syllables and hmm. really hit the consonants. And, um, Hedberg uh, kind of developed that later, the, the, the way he spoke. And, you know, he was very cripplingly shy. Mm. And, you know, the, the first, like, I don't know, 30, 40 times I saw Hedberg, he bombed horrifically. Mm. And he hadn't really developed that cadence yet. And I uh, and a lot of people felt bad for him. He was like such a nice guy. And he would just like bomb like crazy. Uh, but, you know, he always had a good spirit, never gave up. And then uh, and his jokes were always great. Just, uh, you know, that kind of esoteric uh, all over the place premises didn't always work with with audiences. But then once he hit, 
he would destroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it something clicked for him, and just like every joke was, was was killer. You know, I remember seeing him at Largo one time in Los Angeles. It was a really cool alternative uh, place, and the 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 MC guy that ran the show was on stage, and he's just bombing. It was the worst audience. And Hedberg went on and just the, the roof came off the place, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, he hit real quick and, and people loved him. Well, everybody As bombs. As did I. Yeah. Like, everybody bombs. Yeah, she, let's... Uh, uh, <laughs> speaking of unwelcomed waitresses, she obviously doesn't give a fuck that we're recording. You know, we've got to start somewhere. But I appreciate you even just cramming into this green room with me, man. It means a lot about your character and just the career you've had. And you, you talked about like you being so successful and still willing to sit here with somebody you met once and like, yeah, I'll talk to you. So that's super cool. Man, yeah, man. you know, I'm I'm um, I'm pro Southern people. So you've got that going for you. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm also pro podcast. So. Well, that's yeah, because yeah. you have a very successful podcast. But uh, before Tom Rhodes you, Radio Smart. Yes, yes. Free <laughs> on iTunes. I like you have so much success, but it's always good to know the context and like people earning the success. And you mentioned Mitch Hedberg bombing. Bombing is something every comedian does. Every that's the thing. Like young comedians always ask me for advice and they think that some secret pearl of wisdom is going to be right. like, you know, <laughs> handed to them or they can, you know, sidestep some uh, some step in the mm-hmm. development process. Everybody sucks when they start. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm friends with Dave Chappelle. Uh, we've had this conversation before. Every, I mean, Chappelle, like, he was a prodigy as a teenager. I got to see him. But, you know, when he started out doing open mic nights, you know, everybody's feeling their, their way around. And it's the same for everybody. All, every great comedian started out eating a bag of shit in the beginning. Well, I ask every comedian on here because of that fact, a story of a lot of comics from Atlanta have boo stories and things like that being at Uptown or something like that. So maybe if it's not a story of you getting booed on stage, what is a story where it just it was like a rock bottom of your career show where you're like nothing worked and they hated me? Uh, well, you know what? I The first time I went to the Edinburgh Comedy Festival... Uh, what's well, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival mm-hmm. and um, was in the year 2000 and there's this show there called Late and Live and all these people go there the show starts at midnight and then there's like whatever um, you know five to ten comedians on whatever it is but the place is notorious for people going there and heckling and uh, I, I know a lot of English comedians won't even do the gig because you know uh, they don't want to be deloused and humiliated hmm. So this friend of mine, Rich Hall, was supposed to close the show. It was an all-American show. And every comedian, uh, and keep in mind, this was a year before September 11th, before everyone was shoulder to shoulder with America. Uh, It was the most, it turned into the most anti-American hate rally (laughs) of all time. Every comedian is just getting crucified. It was lambs to the slaughter. And... My friend Rich Hall mysteriously uh, gets laryngitis backstage, and he asked me if I would cover his spot for him. And uh, me being the cocky son of a bitch I am, I thought, oh, my God, they're going to love me. So I walked out. They introduced me, and the sound man fucked me. Uh, the sound man played God Bless America as I walked out. <laughs> and this already rabid, anti-American audience lost their shit. 
Before I even got to the microphone, they're yelling, fuck you, go back to America. Fuck you, go back to America. And I tried to start and I couldn't get started. And uh, I actually had this very serene moment. I sat down Indian style on the stage and I mm. lit a cigarette and I just took in this panoramic view. And I'll never forget all these ugly contorted faces and the spittle coming out of their mouth as they're yelling, fuck you, go back to America. <laughs> so um, uh, that was uh, that was kind of like my Vietnam mm. Um for years after that, I would wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweats, um, mm. thinking I was still on stage there. So two years ago, in 2014, I went and did the Edinburgh Comedy, uh, the Fringe Festival uh -huh. for the first time. And I, it's a month long, and I did the entire festival, and I, I, I did Late in Live six times. And nothing's changed. They still, <laughs> I mean, now they, I don't think they're as anti-American anymore. I mean, it's Scotland. There's, you know... Um, great wonderful people there but um the, the the it is pugilistic and you will get heckled and i was the sheriff i stood in it and i i, I was like fuck you people i've been waiting 14 years mm, to come back and wow and uh, you know and and i i corrected this this bad memory that i had it was great i really had a lot of fun and i stopped <laughs> drinking right so the first time i went on i like was pounding all these beers just for liquid courage and whatever choices I made wasn't right. This time, uh, I was, you know, completely sober and could stand there like John Wayne and, and um, smack them down like um, little Zika mosquitoes. Well, how else has sobriety affected your comedy? Uh, it's maybe much sharper. Um, I've always had a talent for it. Uh, even, I mean, comedy, I would always say it's the only job where you can show up half in the bag and everybody's still glad to see you. Yeah, that's like part of the culture almost. Yeah, heavy drugs. drinking. I mean, yeah. not so much anymore. A lot of these young comedians, you know, they work out every day and they eat, um, they drink, um, you know, um, liquid vegetables. And we'll stuff. Learn from people's mistakes. But uh, it's great. While I'm telling a joke, I've got, you know, my Rolodex of ideas spinning in my brain. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I of stories, other jokes, uh, one-liners. Uh, I, 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 I really love sobriety and... I guess there's on stage a now. certain clarity to it. It maybe helps the creative process. Well, the, as well. the great thing for me now is um, comedy is the drug mm. again. Like when I started, yeah. when I started, I was so eager and just comedy um, was my drug, and being on stage and telling jokes. So uh, I'm I'm happily back to that that point where when I started out. You mentioned having these Rolodex in your head and everything. Is your is your writing process more on stage, or are you still pen to paper? I'm a pen and paper guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like to. I think of things all day, write them down, make notes, think about. Uh, you know, today I wrote a bunch of uh, Olympic jokes. We had a uh, U.S. shooter was the first to win a gold medal at the Rio Olympics. Yeah, finally a U.S. shooter we can be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> well what would be you're you're you've been a student of comedy since you were like 12 years old you have to old. be a student of comedy you have to be a student of whatever your chosen field is man mm -hmm. if you want to be a transmission repairman you should dedicate yourself to being the best transmission repairman and you need to study from the masters you know whatever your field is you know uh you you should try and be the best at whatever you're doing. What's awesome about your comedy is it's it's international. Like it's 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 just universal 
I mean, comedy. And like my my universality doesn't really get much outside the city. I'll do like black rooms and white rooms. That's good. That's, do the that's same great. jokes. But I'm like, so how does that? I guess you're on a global level with being universal, though. Well, if you want to be a great comedian, you got to be able to kill in front of any kind of audience. I, um, when I lived in San Francisco, I would go to black rooms in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I lived in New York, there was some black clubs that I would do. Um, when in San Francisco, there was a, a gay comedy club. Um, uh, you should just be, you know, you know, like you don't want to be regional with your comedy. When I started out in Florida, all these New York comedians would come down and they wouldn't change their act at all. Mm. Hey, you know, like when you're on the subway, I'm like, no, we, we don't have a subway. <laughs> we live in Florida. And I've, I've, I've seen some English acts do that when they go around the world, you know, mm-hmm. they'll talk about specific things in London. Like you're in, you know, you're in Hong Kong. Like right. Not everybody gets it. So do you tailor your material for where you are? Um, you have to make modifications everywhere, but, um, you know, um, I think you should, you don't want to be regional. You want to have some universality to yeah. it. Like, um, you know, pain, suffering, heartbreak, things that everybody can relate to. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just on an international level. It's just, it's very impressive. I don't know if there's really many, I mean, I could think. I don't know how international he was, but Bill Hicks was someone who had a lot of success overseas as well. I don't know. Did you ever work with him? I did. I knew Bill. Jeez. Yeah. Um, I worked with him when I was really young in Orlando. Uh-huh. And then when I was 20 years old, when I lived in New York and it was really difficult, um, he was the man in New York City. He had just started doing Letterman's. And he was always nice to me. I, a lot of these New York comedians were like... Um, douchey and wouldn't give me the time of day mm-hmm. and I'd be hanging out at the bar at Catch a Rising Star and Bill Hicks would walk in and go oh Tom hey man how's it going how are things progressing he was really interested in me wow and then I moved to San Francisco years later and um, that's where I started to get good as a comedian and then he started to become uh, this messiah figure in England <laughs> and was playing there and you know 16th century churches and stuff and uh, I, I, I got to see him at the punchline a few times and he always remembered me. He was always super nice to me. And, um, he's probably the reason why I wanted to go to London and get in over there. Wow. What do you think was missing here in America? Like just too true? Like, um, you know, that, uh, you know, flag waving, uh, you can't question the party line America that was, um, the beginning of that first Gulf War, you know, he was up there criticizing his stuff was brilliant. It's all still funny today. It's all still relevant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You ever heard Bill Hicks's Iraq material? It's great. Well, we lost like 86 guys uh, like the, the of Americans. And he said, so does that mean if we just sent 87 men over there, we still would have won the war? <laughs> Guy comes back and the, there's a parade for him. And, and it was like talking about like the technology of, um, these guys had weapons catalogs. They're just like, you know, pull up G36. Tell me what's it do? Well, it says it <laughs> destroys everything but the fillings in their teeth. Right. All right, let's see what that one does. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right, pull up G37. <laughs> really great size. I mean, you know, I think anybody would have loved that material, but, um, you know, he just it didn't hit in America until after he was dead. Hey, Jamie, how are you, buddy? Hey, Jamie. Good to see you, handsome. Wow. 
Oh, no, you're you? great. I'm a frequent interrupter of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> podcast. How are you? Oh, he knows the name, though. All right, so... Uh, you already... Uh, am I, I'll try to... No, you want to... Um, debrief? Okay. Yeah, you want to... Um, uh, should we just clamp it? Yeah, and we could do the... After? After the next show. Are you good with that? To? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's do it. Cool. Tom Rhodes, thank you. Hot breath. Cool. And thank you. I mean, you you sitting down with me for a couple extra minutes after the show, man. I feel hey, like no problem, man. So, that um, was super nice. Somebody, somebody uh, proposed in the middle of the show. Yeah, he was sitting right yeah. next to us while we recorded the first half of right. this podcast. <laughs> so his name, he's, uh, he's in the Army. He's, he's private first class Justin Joyce. Okay. And he sent me an email like a month ago uh-huh. asking if he could do this. And, wow. you know, I'm pro-love. Right. So <clears throat> his girlfriend was with a group of 10 of her girlfriends, like a girl's night out, and they were inside. So she had no idea he was here. Mm-hmm. And so he sat in the green room hiding, and he sat quietly next to us while we recorded the first half of this podcast. Yeah, he got so. exclusive access to this hot breath. <clears throat> exclusive. Yeah. Tom Rhodes getting the hot breath bump in here. <laughs> <laughs> Have a, what are some other, like, what is the weirdest thing somebody, something has happened in the middle of your show? Um, well, um, I was in Sunnyvale, California, 92, 93. Mm-hmm. Um, some big drunk biker jumped on stage and grabbed the microphone out of my hand and said, let me tell a joke, God damn it. <laughs> and he was drunk and nobody laughed at his dumb, stupid stock street joke. And uh-huh. then he just shrugged and left the stage and when i got the microphone back i said um i just wanted to say to the staff how many times um before he stabbed me were you going to approach the stage <laughs> <laughs> i guess you recovered though that killed the whole show i've had a lot of weird things happen yeah you know um hmm yeah I don't have to, and a, a lot of drugs, the memory, I guess. It's, uh, you don't I mean, there's so them, many, but, you know, I've yeah. been a comedian for 32 years, so. Um. From, a, um, from a technique standpoint, something I noticed tonight is, um, do, you, do you like start off a joke looking to the left and then go to the middle and then to the right? Is there like a technique? <clears throat> no, not really. Um, that's a good observation, but um, what I'm doing is I'm looking everyone in the audience in the eye. Okay. When I um, started the first few years I was a comedian, I was terrified, and I would look above the audience's head. Mm-hmm. And you can see when a, a, a young comedian is not looking the audience in the eye, you can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being on stage is like real life. When you look people in the eye, when you speak to them, your words come out of your mouth more naturally. So um, it's, it's something I figured out a long time ago, and while I'm on stage... I try and look every person in the audience in the eyes while I'm on. Do you so, have specific? So it's not people? like starting uh-huh. looking one place, ending up another. I'm just while I'm on, I'm I'm speaking to the room. Are there benchmarks like certain people? You're like, okay, I'm gonna hit this guy, or are you just constantly? No, not really. Just, just you yeah. know, I'm I'm talking and I'm telling a story and trying to connect with the people. Well, it works. That's for certain. Um, one thing I noticed the. Uh, host intro you as being from uh just she just saw you at montreal yeah is that like when's the last time you were in montreal i've done montreal four times um 1995 1998 2009 and 2016 last week 
and where you had like huge shows. I mean, the people came up afterwards hearing about how awesome you did up there. So like, is this? Um, yeah, Montreal is a really it, big deal. No I matter how where you are in your career, in the world. No matter where you are in your career, that's like still the place that you want to be as a comedian. Yeah, you know, um, as a headliner, I don't get to see a lot of my other headliner friends. I mean, I see some of them in L.A., but, mm-hmm. you know, I played all over the world. So um, Jimmy Carr was mm-hmm. there, yeah, uh, who's massive in England, and uh, I worked with him in England um, doing, uh, you know, rough one-nighters. I played with him in Cardiff, Wales when I first met him, and it was a real kind of working man's pub, and he had his posh expensive suit on and the audience ate him alive and heckled the whole time and he stood there like a man he was like the bravest uh person in the world that night and he and i bonded and became friends um i saw adam hills he's a big star in australia i worked with him years ago in australia mm-hmm. so the great thing about having done all these worldwide circuits um you know uh for me going to montreal i get to see my worldwide comedy headliner friends yeah you know? that yeah that must be cool and yeah, I, I did kill it. The, <laughs> the the gala, that's the most important thing. You do the gala. Okay. It's in a big 5,000 seat theater and they film it for Canadian television. Mm-hmm. And also uh, it plays all over the world. So um, you don't want to foul that one up. And the first time you went to Montreal, did you meet your manager? Is no, that when you- no, no, no. I had oh, my manager... Really early when I moved to California, he was, I was his first client. Okay, yeah, Dave Becky, right? Yeah. yeah, I knew you'd had the same manager your whole career. Forever, I yeah. yeah, I didn't know if um, you had met him in Montreal or not. No, no. Okay, just a few more questions. Okay, here, um, just to hold you hostage a little bit. Um, Get hot breath all over me. <laughs> there was one thing we talked about with Bill Hicks and like how his his material was almost. It was like almost too extreme here in America, but it resonated around the world a lot more. Like, is there is there a part of you that wants to do more kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better word that comes to mind, just more of like edgier material and like more commentating on things? I mean, um, <clears throat> I think the best kind of comedy uh, informs people and... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, might influence someone's opinion on certain things. The thing about Bill Hicks, why he is timeless, is because there was a real philosophy behind his humor. And if you listen to his material, it was, uh, even though he could be dark and cynical, it was a very pro-humanity message. And his material, a lot of it was basically solutions for humanity. Right. Things like war and government and all these, you know, fucked up things that aren't exactly right in mm-hmm. the world. Um, yeah, I try, try to do that. I mean, he's probably the biggest influence on me of any comedian. And like the 1861 joke I did about the, about the uh, condiments, you know. Right. It yeah, ends up yeah, being yeah, yeah. A, a Black Lives Matter uh, mm-hmm. bit that the, the better we treat black people, the better our food becomes. Right. So, uh, and then... You know, uh, there's this old joke that I um, have done about mix the races. That's a pro-humanity message. You know, um, uh, I mean, it, it's really difficult to do socially conscious material, but, uh, you know, you write from your heart. I try to, uh, um, you know, 
I try to present solutions for humanity wherever I can. Okay. You're not going to force it, though, and be like, I want to no, be No, if you're just, just up natural. there preaching something, it's, yeah. you know, it's nobody wants to hear that. Right. It has to be funny. And then if you do something a bunch of times and it doesn't, I've got like a gun bit that I've been working on for a long time, and I've, um, I had to put it down. It just, um, as, as great of a concept as it was, it wasn't a killer laugh. Mm. Just got to let it go. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you let things go and then you bring it back a year later, two years later, and then something, it comes out of your mouth different and all of a sudden people love it. You mentioned with Montreal and all these famous people from other kind of comedy scenes kind of all congregating there. Is there more of, do you see, because you've been performing internationally for decades now, are, is there starting to be kind of like economies have kind of globalized, is there starting to become like a globalized comedy scene you've seen? Well, there's comedy all over the world, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, in the last 20 years, there's great local scenes all over Asia. Mm -hmm. You know, Hanoi, Vietnam, I played there two years ago. They got a local comedy scene. Oh. Hong Kong has a great local scene. Shanghai, Beijing. Um, you know, it used to be like Australia and New Zealand. Uh, you know, I did the New Zealand Comedy Festival a few years ago. There's a great scene in New Zealand. There's brilliant comedians in Australia. Um, England has some of the best. You know, I lived in Holland. They got a scene. Belgium has a scene. Paris. There's a great club in Paris. When you did your Vietnam special, was that before there was a scene there? Yeah, there was no wow. comedy scene there. Okay. Then. Yeah, that was what we did for Comedy Central. Yeah. Yeah, back in the day. So based on all the scenes you've seen, I mean, is America the funniest? Can we say that? I think it's the same percentage everywhere. That okay. There's uh, <laughs> a small percentage of humans that can do stand-up comedy and even a smaller percentage of those that can do it very well. So, you know, like a lot of times English, England and Americans want to argue over who has the better scene. I think it's uh, the most boring, useless conversation <laughs> ever. I think um, there's uh, uh, absolutely the best, most brilliant comedians in the world in England. And also some of the worst, shittiest comedians you'll ever see. It's mm -hmm. the same as the United States. Well, where, where is somewhere you want to perform that you haven't yet? Um, I'd like to go to South Africa. Uh, there's a great comedy festival in Cape Town. I've never done that. Um, mm. I, I performed in Seychelles, which is technically a part of Africa. It's an island um, in the Indian Ocean between Africa and India. Um, but I've never played in Africa. So uh, I would like to play there. And, and I heard Johannesburg has a... Yeah. Little, and it's a, they're newer <clears throat> scenes, too. Yeah, like in the last 10, up. 20 years. Right. Yeah, comedy's yeah. really exploded everywhere. Yeah. I've played all over Scandinavia. You know, there's, they, they do stand up in Moscow. I've never been there. I went to St. Petersburg to film for a Dutch travel show I was working for. But, um, you know, it's, you know, everywhere. Do these people speak English? Like, how do you? Not in Russia, no. Yeah, like, how do you? And in Beijing, there's a local Chinese scene, but there's also. Uh, uh, when I play in Beijing, it's for expats and also half the audience is Chinese, but they speak English. Okay. They either are second generation, American, Canadian, Australian or whatever, mm -hmm. or they were educated in England, Canada, Australia, the States, yeah. and they love English language comedy. Well, you alluded to the Dutch travel show, which you did after hosting the late night show there. And yeah. I mean, traveling is something you've certainly incorporated into your comedy throughout your career. So like, how are you wanting to kind of maybe start, I don't know, the, the TV show? 
Um, you're, you you want to start maybe turning into a TV show? Well, I've been trying to pitch a um, show where I'm like the Anthony Bourdain of comedy. Mm-hmm. The way he goes around the world checking out food. Um, I want to check out comedy scenes and highlight comedians from around the country. It seems like a brilliant idea. But I uh, just pitched it to the Travel Channel a few months ago, and they mm-hmm. passed. Hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, uh, I'd still love to make that show, but I'd also like to make... Um, I've got a, a, a scripted show idea, and um, you know I'm I'm open to anything. Uh, is there is there a book? The yeah, I wrote a book. Tom Rhodes book. Um, um, I finished the first draft. I'm started from the beginning, and I'm going through each chapter, trying to cut the fat off the pork chop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is yeah, that it's based about my in life travel? as a comedian yeah. and okay. traveling the world? You wow, know? Uh, and all these different. You know, the late night talk show in Amsterdam. I was maced in Paris. I almost drowned in Thailand. Um, yeah, I've got some stories. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing your stories on here, man, first yeah, off. Yeah, Joel, this, I'm happy to meet you, man. Dude, and, uh, yeah. You have much nicer equipment than I do. Really? For my podcast. The, you gotta, your podcast is better, though. It's all right. It's, I, you know, you just taking the time to do this. It's, um, it's really comforting to know somebody of your level is still like, yeah, you know, we're all comedians here. We're still like a community. Well, you know? honestly, Joel, I learned that from Bill Hicks. Mm-hmm. Bill Hicks was so nice to me when I was a young, goofy, uh, green, inexperienced comedian. And then through my life, when I would see him through the years in New York, San Francisco, he always treated me like an equal. And the thing about Bill Hicks, uh, he really loved comedy and he loved comedians. And it didn't matter what level you were at. He, that was his favorite thing in the world was hanging out with comedians and talking mm-hmm. comedy or talking jokes. And um, I've always had that approach. I, I hate snobby asshole comedians. And I hate when somebody gets a little bit of fame and then they're all jacked up and they're going to be rude to people. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I consider you in the brotherhood. Because wow. you're a comedian. Well, the, and you were in Montreal also. Yes. So you must be doing something right. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. You, yeah. And you, I must say, you are now a hot brethren, as we call hot guests. Hot brethren. I yes. like it. So you being the international man of mystery, before we get out of here, is there anything else you want the world to know? If you are ever being chased by a crocodile, you should run zigzag because they can only run fast in a straight line. Well, all right. Tom Rhodes, thank you so much for being Thanks, on Hot Joel. Breath. Long may you run, brother. Hey. Long we'll, may you run. We'll work together soon. Thank you so much, buddy. Nice. Enjoy, man. No, I really enjoyed that. Your questions were fantastic, and you were very well researched on my career. And I, thank you I so much. It. Thank you. Thanks for yeah. responding. You knew the Bill Hicks, you know, and all that stuff. That's really That's impressive. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, man. I'll see you again. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you so much, listeners, for hanging out with me. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's very valuable, and that's why I asked just spare a few more moments of your time here on this outro. If you enjoyed this interview, which I'm assuming you did, please just drop by iTunes. A lot of you are already listening on iTunes anyway, but just drop even just clicking a five-star review really helps us to stand out. There's so many podcasts out there, and I'm trying to do something great with this podcast, and you guys are a part of that. So really voicing your opinion of the podcast really helps us to stand out among all the other infinite comedy podcasts that are out there. So thank you so much for that. If you want to get more info on maybe how you can start to 
get your comedy game up, I would recommend Comedy Binge. This is the world's first online comedy festival. And if you go to ComedyBinge.co, you use promo code HOTBREATH, you get five bucks off registration. Registration ends August 31st. I must tell you, that is super soon. That is like next week, if you're listening to this podcast, the week of release. So definitely take advantage of that. The actual festival will take place at the legendary Relapse Theater right here in Atlanta on October 29th. It's going to be headlined by the hilarious Rob Hayes, who's been on Comedy Central, NBC, Hot Breath, all the hits. But the pretty much the festival is just to give you like a, a direct link to industry and other bookers without having to, you know, just go around and, uh, that's what a lot of festivals are, just, uh, but this festival is created by Brian Salmon to really give the power to the comedian and really give him a platform to get exposure all over the world at a very reasonable price. So, comedybench.co, promo code HOTBREATH, get five bucks off. That's the festival you can get on and start getting exposure. But you want to have your brand ready when you do festivals. So I would recommend going to comedyartwork.com. This guy does amazing illustrations, whether it's portraits or flyers for your shows, whatever you need. Comedyartwork.com has it. I've worked with him. I was completely mesmerized, and that's why I asked him to be a part of Hot Breath. And you can go to his social media as well, at Comedy Artwork. You can see my illustration up there as well as others from people like Brian Prosane and Big Jay Okerson and just on and on. He's worked with all the comedy greats. So go to ComedyArtwork.com or at ComedyArtwork to really take your brand to the digital age. If you're looking to hone your skills as well, I would recommend Highwire Comedy. I teach a stand-up comedy class there. We also teach sketch and improv. Go to HighwireComedy.com to get more info on that. And we're about to move into a new facility that's like 7,000 square feet. It's going to be incredible. Go there and just highwirecomedy.com. Check out how you can get involved now. Get with it or get run over, shawty. I don't know. That's your skills. You know, I mentioned digital illustrations. If you want actual photos, headshots, lifestyle portraits, even video of your set, Bernard Henry Manning is the man. Hit him up on Facebook. He did all my stuff. You can go to joelbyerscomedy.com. Just see his work firsthand. It really does. It, he, he captured my essence and really what I was trying to portray. And ever since I got those pictures made, a lot of good things have been happening. I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but definitely hit up Bernard Henry Manning on Facebook. See how he can really take your comedy to the next level. And if you guys have audio needs, Amon Garner... This dude's my engineer, keeps everything sounding crystal clear. Hit him up on Facebook, Amon Garner. Amazing, amazing. Everything I just mentioned, I only have them a part of the podcast and to take up this outro because I think it's something you can really benefit from. So thank you so much for listening. A lot of you have asked about, you know, my theme song as well. That was made by my fiance at Aaron A. Rogers on social media. You know, if you're interested in maybe getting a theme song for yourself, hit her up. You know, she might be interested in slipping one year away. So just at Aaron A. Rogers on social media. At Joel Byers Comedy, that's my social media. At Hot Breath Pod, that's the podcast social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the above. But thank you so much. You made it to the end of the outro. You made it. Thank you for your generous time with this, guys and gals and hot brethren and sister and... So you're clearly a fan. If you are a fan, please, just one more time, leave a review on iTunes. We'll be getting at least one each week for the past couple weeks. So be that one for next week, and we can hit 112 reviews. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It makes a difference. 
And that is it. Woo! I can take a breath now. You can take a hot breath now and get back to your daily duties or nightly duties. Wherever you are, wherever you are, I'm glad you found us here at Hot Breath. So, until next Monday, we'll see you right back here on Hot Breath. Oh, oh.